If you would be opening your Bibles to 2 Samuel 11. 2 Samuel 11. We will use that chapter for our uh, foundation for tonight's sermon, and we will notice the context of the whole chapter. So uh, there are 27 verses. We won't read all of those, but that's where we will uh, begin our sermon tonight. When we think of the life of David, one of two events normally come to mind. First, we either think of the young man David, the man who slew the great giant Goliath. Or, we remember the older David, who dishonored himself, his wife, his loyal servant, his loyal servant's wife, and his God. Now both events were monumental in David's life. The one because of his great courage and faith, the other because of his weakness, his faithlessness, and his cowardice. Now we're talking about the same individual. Now there was a big difference between the two Davids of these happenings. In the first, David proved himself to be a man of great faith, great honor, and great courage. Someone who had given himself to God and was willing to fight the fight God put before him. Now the second, he proved that he was a man who could not control himself. Who put God out of his mind and chose the path of the world as opposed to the path to God. When David met Goliath, we are privileged to witness his greatest victory. But when he met Bathsheba, we're forced to watch his greatest downfall. And it's not pleasant. And it's hurtful when we look at it. I want us to understand that up until that moment in his life, David had never lost a battle. Every time he stepped onto the battlefield, he stepped off of it a victor of God. That is until he entered the arena of combat within his own heart. When he entered that arena, he was soundly defeated by a giant that was far more powerful than any time Goliath could have ever been. I want us to learn from perhaps the most painful period in David's life. I want us to learn about the defeat of a great man. I want us to see him as he fell at the feet of a very powerful giant. I want us to do all of that so that we might be able to identify and we might be able to avoid the similar traps into which David fell. Now we need to learn about and get to know the giant who slew David. That's what I've titled this sermon tonight, The Giant Who Slew David. And hopefully... It will help us to identify some of the giants in our own lives that we face. Now here's the sad truth. The giants of sickness, the giants of suffering, sorrow, poverty, pain, or any other giant that we can name is not the giant with whom we will have the most trouble in this life. The giant with whom we will have the most trouble in this life is the giant that dwells in our hearts and often is the one we look at in the mirror every morning. 
Now, we may fear the giants of life, such as ill health, financial crises, death, or any other that we can think of. Yet those are not the giants that is waiting to trap us or are waiting to trap us. Those are not the giants in this life who look to kill us, who look to slay us, and they are not the ones of whom we must most fear. For a few moments, let's study the passage before us. Let's look at the context of 2 Samuel chapter 11, and let's see if we can learn about the facts facing David as he faced this giant. Now we want to know these facts. We want to learn all we can about the giant that slew David because our giants may be different, but they carry with them the exact same characteristics. It's the exact same giant in a different uniform. And like David's giant... They want to kill each of us. They want to slay us just like David's giant slew him. And I want us to begin tonight with the personality of David's giant. That's our first point. David's giant was intelligent. And he considered the things of this world as opposed to the things of the spiritual world. To really understand the nature of the giant living within David, we need to back up just a few chapters in 2 Samuel. We learn this. We find this statement in 2 Samuel chapter 5, beginning with verse number 12. We learn, so David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. He knew that. Maybe he didn't quite understand what that meant. And that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also, more sons and daughters were born to David. Now, what's wrong with that, someone in the world might ask? What's the big problem? So what? Who cares if he did that? He was a great man. He fought great battles. He defended God's people. So what? if he imbibed in some of the pleasures offered to the king of Israel. So what? Who cares? God cares. That's so what, right? God cares. It's a problem because God didn't want it to happen. In fact, David broke the commandments that God had distinctly and directly given to Moses before there was ever a king in Israel. Notice Deuteronomy 17 beginning with verse 14. Moses commanded this. Deuteronomy 17 beginning with 14. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in no wise set him king over thee whom the Lord thy God shall choose. For thou shalt in wise set over him. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But he shall not, and here we go, here are some commandments. He shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. 
For as much as the Lord had said, the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. So this king was forbidden, whoever the king may have been. Of course, we know through history that Saul was the first king, David was the second king, Solomon was the third king, and all of them broke these commandments in some way. First, he was not to accumulate horses. They weren't to have horses to depend upon in battle. They weren't to have horses as transportation to get back to Egypt. They were not to accumulate for themselves wives. And he was not to accumulate gold and silver for himself. Now David honored God's commandments concerning the first and the third commandment. But he dishonored God by disobedience in not observing the second commandment. He disregarded what God had to say about accumulating wives. That's why it's a problem. That's why when we look at David's giant, we're trying to understand his personality. He devised ways. And of course, when we're talking about David's giant, we're talking about David, right? We're using personification here. David himself devised ways to get around what God had commanded him. He considered the world instead of considering God. David had a giant living within him, and that giant for David was lust. He didn't control himself. He discovered, though, like anyone else, no matter what the giant is, the more you give it, the more it wants. Sin is never satisfied. That's a a personality trait as our giants consider the world. Not everyone will battle this particular giant, the one David battled. But we'll battle some giants in our lives. And we better be able to identify who those giants are, what those giants are, so we can avoid allowing them to take control in our lives. Second personality trait of David's giant was he constructed ways for David to justify sin and to have opportunity to sin. See, that's a big thing, isn't it? Putting ourselves in a position to sin. And that's what David's giant did. He constructed ways for him to do that. First of all, he used neglect, didn't he? When we look in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we see that David, when it was time for kings to go to war, was neglecting his duty. Instead of being in the bed, he should have been on the battlefield. He should have been out there with his soldiers waging God's wars. But he wasn't. He was neglecting his duty. Now, how do we apply that to our lives today? We're not going to battle. We're not kings of a nation. But we neglect at times our duties as Christians, whatever that duty may be. In whatever avenue of faithfulness, we're not being what we ought to be. And it's different for all people. But we need to understand we cannot neglect what God wants us to do. There's no English proverb that says an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Well, I can understand that. You know where the, where the old English proverb, whoever wrote that, do you know where they got that idea? From the Scripture. From the Scripture. There was a man who had a 
demon. And when the demon was cast out, it was as if his his soul was like a swept and cleaned house. He didn't fill it up with anything. He had idle time on his hands, and that is certainly the devil's workshop. And so not only did that demon come back, he brought some of his friends. And he was worse off than he was to begin with. Oh, that's an old English proverb, but it's based in biblical teaching. Next, I think David allowed his previous successes to give him a sense of invincibility. He was so successful in everything that he did, he began to believe everything he did was something God wanted him to do. And I think that leads us to pride, doesn't it? God, or David knew that God was with him. We just noticed that. And I think David began to believe that no matter what, God would be with him. Now that's just simply not the case. There's so many teachings throughout the denominational world that tells us God will be with you, it doesn't matter what you do. You can't do a thing to make God leave you. Well, in, in one sense, that's correct. God will never leave us, but we can leave Him anytime we want to. And that's what David did. David used his pride. Most importantly, he neglected his spiritual man, didn't he? He focused on the physical. And there must have been other things in David's life that, that promoted this and led to this, that allowed this giant in his life to distract him. But these are some that I believe are some of the major ones. Now there are times when each of us will face our own giants. And until they become uh, so powerful that they get out of hand, often we simply overlook the giant. It's like the elephant in in the room, right? We know it's there, but nobody wants to talk about it. We have to be careful. The problem with feeding our giants is they always get out of hand, right? They always get out of hand, so we can't feed them at all. We have to avoid them. We have to destroy the giant. We have to slay the giant. Now, most of our giants do not come from without. Most of our giants come from within. And we have to guard ourselves. James said this, Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, James 1, 13 through 14. That's why we have to strengthen the inner person. We have to focus on being what we need to be. And when we allow ourselves to become neglectful, to become prideful, to become arrogant, to believe that our past success will carry us on into the future, we're feeding the giant. And we're not strengthening ourselves spiritually. I want us to notice next, this is our second point, we go from the personality of David's giant to his power. It had the power to ensnare David's mind. Took him hostage. We might say he kidnapped him, right? And I believe David's giant was quick to tell him that what he's doing, what he was doing was an absolute good idea. Has Satan ever told someone that a particular sin was a bad idea? Of course, Satan's not going to be speaking to us today. 
but his influence is in the world. Those who live for Satan, they're not going to warn a person, well, that sin you're about to commit, that may not be the best thing for you to do. That's not going to happen, is it? And so this giant had the power to ensnare David's mind. Notice, in the cool of the evening, as he was walking on the rooftop of his palace, he looked and he saw a woman bathing, and the Bible described her as very beautiful to look upon. And when David saw her, sin ensnared his mind. He saw the sin. He wanted to take part in it. But that is not uncommon to David. See, we need to understand, and we can look at David. It's written down for us. We have all the details that we need, and we can look at it. We can say, look, that's just not intelligent, David. What are you doing? And then somehow, in some way, the translation from the Bible to ourselves has a disconnect. And we have a difficult time looking at ourselves and saying, now wait a minute. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? We allow sin to ensnare our minds. But that's how Satan worked with David. That's how he works with us. That's how he will always work. When we learn about sin, we see that it happened just like this in Genesis chapter 3. It happened just like this in 2 Samuel 11. We're told that it will happen like this to us in our time, and we're told that Jesus or that Satan will always use those techniques. First John two verse sixteen. And we have to understand something else. When we fight the giants in our own lives, it begins as a battle in the mind, the spiritual heart. And here's something else that is extremely important. If we fail on that battlefield, all the other defenses that we have will tumble as if they were dominoes. That's why we're told to continually, continually, nonstop, guard our minds. Philippians 4, 6 through 9. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. If it were not important, we would not be told to continually guard our minds. Is prayer important? Sure it is. That's why Paul said to to continually pray. Well, we have to continually guard our minds. David's giant had the power to ensnare his mind. And he also had the power to erase his reason. We look at David and we think, "What, what in the world were you thinking? When David discovered that this woman was the wife of a loyal servant that in itself should have been enough to stop him right in his tracks. But it didn't. Sin erased his reason. It's as if he didn't have good sense anymore, right? It was as if something happened in his mind and now he was no longer David, the great king of Israel, the man after God's own heart. He was some kind of a sinner who lived only for himself. What happened? To him, his reason was erased. When we allow sin to take hold of our lives, do you know what we'll do? We'll do things we never would have done otherwise. Erases our reason. Causes us to lose our souls. 
And you know what happens when that takes place? We very well might lose our souls if we don't get a handle on it. The prodigal son lost all reason. He left the father's house. He went into the far country. He did no telling what. And do you know how we know that he lost all reason? When we look in Luke 15 verse 17, it says, And then when he came to himself, he wasn't himself. His reason was erased. His mind had been ensnared. And he allowed it to happen. We have to take personal responsibility. He allowed it to happen. David allowed it to happen. That is the power of the giants in our lives. But there's more. There's more. We need to understand some things about David's moment on the rooftop. First of all, we need to understand that both David and Bathsheba were at fault. Both. David was a man of God. He knew better than what he did. He knew better. And he was the aggressor of the horrible act. Now we cannot allow David off the hook. He started it and he completed it. But surely Bathsheba knew that David or anyone else who might be on a rooftop could see her baby. I don't think she made a very wise choice. Now I don't know whether she intended to be seen or whether she intended for this interaction between her and the king uh, to take place. But here's what I do know. We need to learn some lessons from those mistakes. First of all, here's what we need to learn. We better be careful how we look at other people. We better be careful. Adultery is wrong, and Jesus said this, Matthew 5, 28, that lust or that adultery begins in the heart. So we have David on a rooftop in the cool of the evening looking at someone else's wife, and he continued to do it. We have to be careful how we look at others. All men better realize two things. Every woman in this world is either our sister in Christ or a lost soul who needs Jesus. Period. And if we look at them in that way, we can control the giants in our lives. Second, we better be careful how we look to others. We better be careful how we look to others. Bathsheba was not being careful, neither was David. Some people look when they shouldn't and some people dress in ways that shouldn't be seen. You ever notice that in this world? When we wear clothes that draw attention to the body in an immodest way, that's wrong. Short skirts, dresses, low-cut blouses, tops that reveal the midriff, tight-fitting clothes. Let me tell you something, those are not clothes that any person who claims to be a Christian and love God would ever wear. That's another lesson we need to learn from this little stroll David took on the rooftop. Now I want us to notice the problems that the giant in the life of David created. This is our third point. It led him down a deceptive path. Now, what person in the world would we want to join ourselves to that would lead us down deceptive paths? Anyone with any good sense wouldn't do that, right? 
But if we allow the power of our giant to snare our minds and erase our reason, we will be led down a deceptive path. He tried to get Uriah. David found out that this woman was pregnant with his child. He brought Uriah in from the battlefield. He tried his best to get him to go home to his wife, but he had more honor than David did. He wasn't going to go home and enjoy what God ordained within his marriage and the companionship with his wife when his brethren were on the battlefield. He wasn't going to do it. And so when that didn't work, David got him drunk. David caused him to be drunk. Clear violation of Habakkuk. Don't put the bottle to your neighbor's lips and cause him to be drunk. But that's what David did. When we allow ourselves to get into the grip of sin, that's the behavior that will be exhibited. It's deceptive. The deceptive path gave way to the deepening path. It doesn't just stop there, does it? How many people can sin just a little bit? That's not the way sin works. It doesn't work that way, right? When deception didn't work... David went deeper and deeper. And so you know what he did? He decided to murder Uriah. That's much worse than deception. But both will keep you out of heaven. So it went from bad to worse. But isn't that how sin works? It's never satisfied, brethren. Sin cannot be satisfied. It will take you farther than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you a whole lot more than you wanted to pay. That's what the giant that slew David did to him. Solomon said, Proverbs 13, 15, The way of the transgressor is hard. And he meant that. He meant that. David's experience on that rooftop was an experience of sadness. It was an experience of hurt. And it was an experience of total disregard for God. And that was just the beginning. This wasn't the end. This was the beginning of David's turmoil in this life. Because of the things he did, and it started here, because up to this point he was faithful to God. He was always the victor. He was a man after God's own heart. He wanted to please God. He wanted to do those things. But when he allowed the giant in his life to slay him, Things took a turn for the worse. Oh, David overcame. But the consequences stayed with him for the rest of his life. He lost two sons. The one couldn't control himself. The other one murdered him and tried to usurp the throne of his own father. He wasn't allowed to build the temple because he was a man that had blood on his hands. It started with Uriah. You know, Satan will never show his cards and he'll never tell the truth about sin. He's not going to tell the drunk that that drink will destroy your life and that of your families. He's not going to tell the drug addict that that your habit may keep control of you for the rest of your life and cost you your eternal soul. He's not going to do that. He's not going to tell the truth. He never tells the truth about sin. Why should he? What's his goal? For us to go to hell. But if we can identify the giants in our lives, we can learn and implement the necessary things to defeat them. 
whatever that giant is. Whatever that giant is. It may be that, that we're putting material things before God. We have to identify that giant. We have to do something about that. We have to slay that giant. We may decide that, that fun and relaxation goes before God. I know a lot of people when they go on vacation, they go on vacation from everything, including the church. We can't do that. That's a giant that needs to be slain. We can learn the necessary things to slay these giants. If we don't, we'll be like David. They'll slay us and we might not overcome. But if we can understand the personality, the power, and the problems that these giants present to all people, in whatever way that is, we're better able to overcome and be exactly what God needs us to be. What God needs us to be, first and foremost, are faithful Christians. He demands it, and it's our duty to live for Him and to overcome the giants that we face in this life. That's a commandment. That's not just a good idea. And we can do that. We do that first by obeying the gospel plan of salvation. And we understand what that is. We talk about it a lot, and we ought to talk about it. We need to be able to explain to others that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. That repentance is necessary, Acts 3.19. We're to repent and be converted. We're to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And that confession brings us unto salvation, Romans 10.10. Not into salvation. Baptism, immersion in water, washes away our sins, Acts 22.16. It saves us, 1 Peter 3.21. It adds us to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. And then we live a faithful life overcoming every single day any giant that may present himself to us. Again, we're using personification, aren't we? When we look in the mirrors, we better look at ourselves and ask a question. Do I want to get to heaven? Do I want my husband or my wife to get to heaven? Do I want my children to get to heaven? Do I want my grandchildren to get to heaven? Do I want my friends to get to heaven? And it all starts with the person you're looking at. That person has to get himself or herself to heaven first. And then we'll drag as many people with us as we can. Kicking and screaming if we need to, right? If we've obeyed the gospel and become unfaithful, we've allowed a giant to do to us what did to David. David overcame. When we read Psalm 51, we see that he overcame. He recognized that he sinned first and foremost against God. He sinned against himself. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against the whole nation of Israel. He repented of that. He asked God to forgive him. And here's the good news. God forgave him. God forgave him. And he'll do that for us. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation at this time, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.